All right. Hello and welcome back. This is Colin Keeley here. And I'm Brent Sanders. And we are two guys buying and building wonderful internet companies. Indeed. And and everything that is coming out of every media source this last week and maybe the last two months has just been ChatGPT. AI, ChatGPT, AI is going to kill everybody and kill every industry. <laughs> it's been hard to to kind of slice through the paranoia, right? You have some people that are like, oh, it's going to change the world. It's going to put everyone out of a job. And that might be true, but it's it's been a long time coming. So everyone's seen The Terminator. We all know how this ends. So stop acting <laughs> so surprised. But we we're, were going to talk about it on, on the podcast today as a, the first topic of, of discussion was around what's it mean for vertical B2B software? You know, what, what's it mean for, for us, frankly? Yeah, I guess at a high level, Constellation is looked up to as compounded at such a compelling rate for 20 years or something like that. And we're somewhat similar doing this vertical market software. And the whole idea was that these corners are sleepy, they're great businesses, they're going to be super durable. And does AI threaten that? Is that going to come all crashing down? Can you just type into like ChatGPT, you know, please recreate this vertical market software, make it really nice and modern for like 2023. And then why wouldn't people switch and develop solutions for that? And then like set up a nice offboarding, onboarding, switching process, and then mm. set up a outbound cold email campaign and reach out to other customers and steal them all away. Like, is that <laughs> doable in the next few years? And I don't know, but let's talk about it. Do you have any immediate thoughts? Yeah, I mean, let, let's start with the technology side of things. So can you build things with AI? You absolutely can. And it's, it's great. And we have a couple of engineers that I've noticed have been using it. They always have a GPT tab open. And especially, I think we were talking about last podcast, like especially dealing with legacy software. It's, we're dealing with some library that's eight years old and documentation's gone and somehow ChatGPT knows how it works. So I think the AI-enabled development is, is huge. And then there's like the AI generation of of code and, and systems and i think that's also going to be super helpful what i don't see I, it, it can create things end to end and i think you can work with it you is it going to kill a developer job yeah probably hopefully soon right like in in some sense it is going to erase a lot of the like low hang so like yeah, I, I need to build a login form like how many login forms i've built in my career that i just never want to have to do again like that part i'm, I'm confident that it, it's going to take away the things that um, I don't know if it will start taking away. It's like the, the larger systems, like putting the big pieces together and, and like operating and, and all those pieces, but you know, let's assume it just continually keeps going. So it begs this larger question of like, will software company goes software companies go away if you can just make your own software. And I, I don't, I still don't think so because there's all this other stuff that goes along with not just creating the, the code, the product and the, the features. But the, the, the actual having a service, not doing it yourself, right? Not having to like, you still have to spin up servers. You still have to do all this technical stuff that, you know, most people aren't going to want to do. And just because it's easier to make doesn't mean people are going to start going through that process. I think people want to have a compartmentalized thing. And they also want to have somebody accountable to, hey, you're running my database backups. You're running my invoicing. You're running my operating system for whatever, it's not something they want to have a relationship with ChatGPT over. They want to have like a commercial relationship to say, I'm going to rely on you to do this thing. But yeah, I mean, will we see more co copycats popping up? Maybe. But I think you still run into the same scale and growth problems of like bringing it all together. That's that's harder to, to do without AI doing it for you. 
Yeah, I think the obvious outcomes are you can get by with smaller teams, like AI assisted developers can just be way more productive. So we could stay super lean and people we have could be more productive and we could probably stay lean for longer. I think the other outcome is like, you could be more ambitious. These small teams can tackle bigger projects. So the obvious ones to me are like basically copycats. Can you spin up copycats way faster? So if Gumroad, they like 10x their prices or something, I think you could probably build a competitor for like hundredth the price and charge maybe like a 10th or something. Your intercom is always super expensive. I wonder if you could just say, hey, recreate intercom and spin up a competitor that way. I think the question is like, are switching costs still durable? And is that or like customer relationships are still valuable? And I think it's still a big pain. So like everything is built on Scout. Do you want to move to a new competitor that just spun up because of AI assisted? Probably right. not because you don't trust them. We have a decade of history of running, but it is scary. It feels like, like the castle is a little more vulnerable than it was before for all these vertical market software companies. Yeah. And, and maybe that's just an, a function of like there's less gatekeeping happening, right? Like if people are going, going to be able to enter into this more freely, but I think at the end of the day, there's still this gap of, that I can't, I can't cover, right? I can't see AI bridging this gap. So use the intercom example, like, yeah, it's expensive. Well, why do you think it's expensive? It's like, do they just arbitrarily want to charge a lot? It's like, no, sending a, a boatload of emails is expensive over time. You're, you're kind of paying and kicking into this larger infrastructure. And so I think that's where like this shared resources where you're getting, they're getting a volume price or whatever it is, is, is you start getting, you're not paying a premium for the feature set, but you're, they're actually like paying for compute. And I think that's where this converges and not to get too futuristic, but that's where I think cryptocurrency had an interesting and compelling thing where it's like, it's starting to close the gap between like what are you actually paying? You're paying for the compute. And that's like the, the like atomic thing that you're, you're engaging with a software company for is like, Hey, do this thing, take some action, send emails like that costs money. Like, and so I think at the end of the day, you're going to, let's say you rebuild intercom with ChatGPT, and it tells you exactly what to do. And, but then you start getting bugs and it's like, well, you asked ChatGPT about the bugs and it's like, it start, stops giving you great answers. It's like, there's all these gotchas that I'm like, I picture myself doing this and there's still a lot of A, cost associated with services like that, that they're covering and then B, like there is still this coordination element that you need humans to, to deal with. Because I, I don't think as of right now, ChatGPT would be able to monitor and deal with getting things live and keeping things live forever. Yeah. I also, think that can we I... just talk about how, how wrong and confidently wrong it is? <laughs> Oh yeah, that's what they, they call it hallucinating, where it's just confidently wrong and makes something up and just continues to run with it. <laughs> so it isn't perfect. There, it, it is really cool. So let's talk about for a moment, like within our space, that the places that it, it rocks, as we already talked about, is like assisting developers, assisting support, I think is another huge one. Like yeah. turning a frustrated... The one that I like is, is not turning the, the support person's responses and running that through AI, but actually turning the, all the customer responses into like very nicely worded and, and making people feel fuzzy. I think there's actually something to that where it's like, you can actually just, you want to help somebody who's being nice and you want to provide the best care possible. And I think there, there's something to rewording things and re rejiggering the, the input to make it work better. 
Yeah, I, I tell Mark, our customer service guy, to try it. And it, it helps. I mean, my like default is just to be blunt and be like, hey, this is how you fix it. But then you say, you run it through chat GPT and say like, hey, make this polite and very friendly. And it comes out with like a more beautiful response. The other thing I'm trying yeah. to use it more for is like a writing buddy. So I think it's really not to like come up with novel ideas, but to bounce ideas back and forth. So if you give it like unstructured notes, it's really good at making it structured. So like if I do a podcast like transcription, throw it to it and say, pull out like, hey, pull out the three points of this. It does a really good job of that and like distilling things down. That's awesome. It's been pretty cool. And then you could ask it to expand on it. And some of the expansion is like hallucinations. It's just kind of made up crap, but other ones are really good. So I'm trying to get into the habit of like, I want to use this more. I have to like do this instead of using Google or something. Like I'll try that first and see how it goes. But yeah, it's just I, cool. I, test it all out. I absolutely love it for, for those types of, of things. And that's usually what stops me from writing is like, I get it. And then I start editing and I just run mm -hmm. out of steam and it's, it's a great, it's a great writing partner. Something I'm, I'm giving a talk next week, a very short one. And I was like, Hey, I was going to bug you for this. So this is my alternative. I was going to bug Colin <laughs> for like, Hey, give me some good facts about why venture capital is risky as compared to what we're doing. And so I gave it to GPT. 30 seconds later, I've got found stats with citing and six great facts about what exactly what I wanted in an instant. And that's, that's, I think the, the part that it's the most useful. Like I look at it as like an augmented Google tool or, and people say, oh, there can be no more stack overflow. Now the scary thing is, is like, if we all start generating and using AI and it starts feeding on itself, I think that's where the value is going to go to zero, where you start getting wrong answers or it's feeding off of all this content. So talk about like stack overflow, a place where developers go to search out problems that they have. Right. Like I'm getting this error, any tips, hints, like how do I, how do I fix this error? And if it's, if we stop posting, what are we going to train the next model? Right. It's like, and if we stop posting to stack overload, so I don't think those things are going to get killed. I think you still need to have these, these sources of data to build from. Otherwise it's not going to be super knowledgeable as to what those errors, errors are I, one idea there, but. You know, I think that there's definitely a strong place for it and it's only going to get greater. I scary thing to think about is what it's going to mean for academics. Like, cause I know if I was in school, I would just be like, write my essay on, write my midterm paper and it would just send it out. Oh yeah. So my cousins are still in college. They're quite a bit younger and I, that's what they all do. Like I saw them over like Christmas time <laughs> and every single student does that. And they know at like what time of the yeah. day ChatGPT is not busy so they could get it for free instead of paying, but they're all doing oh, it. Nice. But I think that also the AI like checkers are getting good too. And I think it's pretty good. easy for it to say, well, was this written by AI or not? So one of my rules, I guess, is I like never use what's written by AI. It's probably different for developers, but I just use it as like a, an idea bouncer offer and I don't mm -hmm. like copy paste that into my article because I think at some point they'll be able to check pretty well and flag you or hurt you. And it, it reads a certain way. I don't know why it like it rings a certain chime in my brain when I read the responses and it's like, it feels a little strange, but it it's what I'm looking for. Like there's, there's bits of goodness in there. So I agree. Editing that stuff down is, is great. But going back to the impact of, of, of software, I think, yeah, smaller teams can, can result from this, which is, I, that is probably just the biggest thing impact it would have on, on the ability for one company to do more, right? It's like, 
if we wanted to get into something like that we've never done before, let's say we, we added reviews or, or a view tr tracking feature to Scout and like, instead of starting from Google and starting to research all this stuff, we could say, how do we do this? And give us some code samples and just light speeds our development process, right? It light speeds the product process. It light speeds, everything just goes on this, like, oh, here's the answer. And so I think the, the R and D impact, I think is going to be great. And I think that's a good thing. I think everyone benefits from that. I don't, I don't know. I don't see the downside of like more ideation and, and less like struggle with the painful stuff of like research and proof of concepts and testing. Yeah. I, so it, like no code made testing NVPs easier. I think this AI stuff makes testing like more code heavy projects way faster than ever before. So you could probably test a lot more ideas. The other like second order effect of this is I don't think you need all these crazy venture capital rounds. I don't think you need your series A, B, C, D. I mean, if a lot of that is to continue building product and building product becomes a lot cheaper. Like I think you yeah. can take that first round of money, get off the ground, pay yourself salaries. And then like from there, just kind of run. I don't think you need to build out these huge multi hundred person teams. So I think bootstrap companies or whatever can IPO. I think that the next round yeah. is going to look pretty different. I love that idea. I mean, doing, doing more with less is, is kind of what I feel like that's the theme of the last decade of everyone's just, there's a downturn, there's COVID. Oh, we get, we're just gonna have to do more with less. It's like, well, this is the way you're gonna do it. I think there's a, an existential question here of like, well, who was doing those tests and what are those people now going to do? I'd like to think that there's a positive sort of angle to this, but I have to say there is a dystopian feeling of like, okay, that's, this is how we're going to end up with the 90% unemployment where it's it, at some point, right? And that's scary of like a societal collapse due to that, right? It's so we need to figure something out where, yeah, people can, in the sci-fi reader in me is like, we're just going to have these assistants and it's like, it's going to be built into us and it's just going to be how people work and we'll adapt and we'll find roles for people. But I think switching from a labor-based society or something will be necessary. And software is a good place to be for that. So I listen to every Sam Altman podcast interview that he does. It's, he's a CEO and founder of OpenAI. And he talks all the time about how disruptive it's going to be to society. And he wants to kind of slow roll it. He, so that's why they're doing like GPT-3, GPT-4, and not just like, hey, we have an AGI in like five years and just blow up society. Yeah. So it seems like he's trying to slowly like desensitize people to it and like roll it out bit by bit. And there's a good article that came out that it sounds like they basically sandbagged GPT-4. So they developed a way to scale or predict accurately how this deep learning is going to progress. And so they basically backed into what they wanted to score on like the SAT and the ACTs. And that's what they had GPT-4 released at because it was ready like eight months ago. And so instead yeah. of releasing what the most modern thing is, they're like, we think this is what society can handle right now. And so yeah. what they actually have cutting edge is like even scarier. It's significantly more ahead of what they're showing. Yeah. So, I, you know, it's, if this goes into a whole other conversation, it's nothing to do with software companies. It does have to do with the future of work. It does have to do with a society that will exist. Like we're not going to have any users if there's no businesses, right? It's like, it's, you're not going to need to invoice people if you're, you can't do anything for them that they already can't do from, from some AI platform. So it, existentially, yeah, this is, it's super scary, but I'm, I'm not worried about it. I'm going to use it as a tool. I think 
I'm optimistic in the sense that we're going to find ways to accelerate, you know, what we do. And, but the question is, is like, will it kill our customers? That's the, the larger question. I don't think it's going to take your dog walker away. I, it may take your accountant away. Like, as you think of the people that use our invoicing software, like we have a bunch of accountants, we have a bunch of like skilled knowledge workers that, yeah, maybe that will start to go away, but I think there's going to be a renewed importance on the physical aspect the, I don't think so. I guess invoicing for landscaping is the right way to go. Yeah, there you go. Just backed in a blue collar. Those are the only jobs that are safe in the long term. Yeah, no kidding. So anyways, it's a little, it gets pretty dystopian pretty quick. So I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm super optimistic about how it is benefiting our customers and us right now. And I'm excited to see that continue. It's, it, it's like having a tutor or having like free answers at times. Yeah. Any other thoughts on AI or do you want to talk about conferences? Yeah, let's talk about conferences. So I think there's a lot of value in meeting people in person. And the two buckets that I see going forward are like meeting LPs, so meeting investors. So most of the people that scale up from where we're at currently have like a few big anchor LPs. And often in the search fund world, most of the big search funds are backed search funds that invest in other search funds, like fund of funds are backed by like one billionaire. And so I don't know how many billionaires are in your Rolodex, but mine is pretty brief, pretty short. So I think we have to hang out at more of these LP conferences. So I've been taking notes on a bunch of them from other folks. I think one or both of us will go to many of these in the future. So I think Capital Camp is one of the best ones. So Brent Bishore, Permanent Equity, started putting that on a few years ago. So I'm going to that one this year. Pretty excited. That one looks super cool. I had to get daycare. So my wife's mom is coming in town to take care of them. So thank you to her if she's listening. Shout SMB out. SMB Bash is another one in Austin in April. So I was going to go to that one. I can't remember who put that one on. But another one, meeting investors, a lot of other operators are going. Holdco Conference this is the one you went to last year down in Cleveland. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I think that I one's I don't think there are any billionaires there. Maybe. Maybe a couple. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, I would say like the, it feels like dating. If you're looking for a billionaire, you're not going to find it, right? So it's like you just, mm -hmm. I think we do a good job of just like publish what we do, do what we do. But I, I agree, we need to network, we need to go, I think like more so, sure there's gonna be LPs there. My sense is, from what I've heard from other people, is a lot of these things are, there are more people that are looking for capital than looking to deploy capital, but maybe that switches over up over time. And But I think it's a really good idea to just get in the habit of going to these things. I, I kind of dread them, but when I go, I'm really happy when I do, right? Like I'm always like, ah, oh, I need to be like working on, like I need, I got stuff to do, I've got like, features to, to push. I'd much rather just be working on these businesses, but then you go and, and you realize like, oh, this was totally worth it. You, you make connections, you meet people that you'll know for the rest of your life. Like, well, maybe not the rest of your life, but I think we forget, I forget about the human side of, of all this stuff. And it's nice to get that refresher. So I always have to kind of kick myself to like, go and do it. And I'm always happy. I, I do when I get back from something like that, I'm just like, you know what? Totally worth it. I mean, I think it's just the introvert in me that doesn't want to like spend that energy on talking to people. Yeah, I'm somewhere in between probably an introvert and extrovert. So I'm really excited for these. Like I meet people on Twitter, you have Zooms and everything, but I've, to a large extent, we're operating in basically islands. Like Cleveland is not known for this booming like, tech private equity scene. Chicago either. It will be. Um, it will be. Yeah. That's why you have to give your talks and show up on the news every day. But yeah, you know, no kidding. I'm like a magnet here. So I'm excited to meet people in person. I just think it's completely different than meeting people on Twitter. So 
It's pretty oh, totally. cool. I'm excited. Other ones just I've written down if people are interested. The independent sponsor conference is supposed to be another good one to meet investors. That's if you're trying to do larger independent sponsors. All the big top MBA programs have ETA conferences. So I've gone to Booth for the last few years. It's really good. It's one of the bigger ones, but it's a lot of students. I heard the HBS, the Harvard Business School one, has more investors. Um, so mm. I have a friend that raised a $10 million fund. He said he met a lot of his investors there. So it's probably going to go to that one at some point. Reconvene. There's another big one by Moses Kagan. That's more for real estate GPs and LPs. But I think the LPs in real estate are pretty similar to like the LPs in private equity. So that may be worthwhile at some point. And that was completely inspired by Capital Camp. Capital Camp came first and he's like, Moses, this should be for real estate as well. So he started that. Interesting. I, I guess one question is like, again, going back to the dating thing, if you go seeking these things out, do you find them there? And I'm like wondering if you just need to spend more time on a boat. <laughs> or something like that. I, yeah. Honestly, like it's for somebody I, I've seen and participated in larger fund fundraising and seeing how that's done. And it can be like, it can, it's, it's just wild. Like the, the worldwide aspect to it as well. Like if you wanted to take NLPs from different countries and like the road show that you really have to do, if, if you're actively fundraising is one thing. But I, again, I feel like you participate in the industry. I think that's part of it that keeps it human. But then, I don't know, how, how's your networking? Do you, do you have any like go-to like pickup lines for investors? Like, hey, you looking for some, some good IRR or heck, what are you going to do to kick I, off these conversations? That, I think the idea with some of these conferences is there's like a lot of events. And so you're just kind of hanging mm. out with people. So the first question isn't, what do you do with everyone? It's more interesting, like you're playing paintball or you're working out with people. And then it's, you become friends with them. And then it's like down the line, hey, maybe we could do something together. So I think that's my hope because I don't want to like speed date everyone. That sounds kind of horrible, I imagine, for like four days in a row. I found but, yeah, it at I, the whole co-conference, I found it to be actually refreshing to just be like, what's your business? Like, it, it, maybe that's a cheesy way to talk to people, but, you know, everybody loves talking about what they're up to. And and the exchange of ideas was was pretty killer. Like that that alone of like the, the little stuff that you find out or learn. I feel like it's just a drop in the bucket compared to like, or Twitter is like a drop in the bucket compared to like those grab a beer with somebody. You're going to sit there for 20, 30 minutes with that person. They're going to brain dump on you as like what they've been doing for the last six years. And it's like what worked, what didn't, it's, it's good stuff. Yeah. The other thing here is like the filter is pretty good. So the lowest or the cheapest conference is maybe 4,000, the higher ends like 10 or 12,000. And so if you're paying mm. that, you probably have a business of sorts that's doing fairly well. So I think people mm. have, they're just doing more interesting things if you have a, such a filter like that. If it's something free and you go to it in Chicago, Chicago Tech, it's like a bunch of people that are like, oh, I like tech. I want to get into tech. And it's like, okay, yeah. best of luck to you. But maybe this isn't the most best use of my time here. Yeah, maybe. Well, interesting. Yeah. I mean, I think there's always this elusive part to like building a network and I'm just like, my go-to is like, just be yourself, be cool. Like, don't be, don't try to be something you're not. Don't try to like, that's the one thing I did find in, in a lot of conversations. There's just a lot of MBAs, a lot of folks like yourself that have like that literacy around what exactly is a hold co versus what's not. And all these other, like all this other stuff where I'm just kind of like, I, I glaze over. I don't really care. Like, I'm happy to talk to them about it and, and exchange idea. But then like the finer points of why Charlie Munger's great and the greatest allocator Capital allocation is just like, okay, well, I, I'm out okay. of depths here, but. We'll keep you away from these finance conferences. <laughs> Seriously. 
But I think there there is, it's always been an important thing to me to like know who you're working with and spend time with. It, it's the, the idea that you hang out with some people and you get to know them and their values. And then you talk about if that leads to investment or leads to acquiring new LPs or new businesses, that's a great way to like na- organically get into those relationships is like have a frame of reference versus like a Zoom call and then they wire you money. It just feels really impersonal and doesn't feel like a partnership as much. Yeah. And the other thing to say here is like these conferences are pretty expensive. And if you go to multiple, it adds up pretty quick. But like in our space, income's kind of lumpy. And so if we get like one big investor, one big deal, one big partnership or something, it's all worth it. That's like a decade it's of all conferences. Worth it. Yeah. So I think that's yeah. how we think about it because it, it does hurt. I mean, it hurts to put a, a bunch of money on a credit card to go to a conference, but I think it's worth that. So that's yeah. like the investor side. The other side that we should be going to maybe more up your alley is like to meet these bootstrap SaaS founders. So the big conferences there are MicroConf, SaaS Stock, SaaS Open, and the Calm Summit. MicroConf, I think, is probably the most important and the best one to go to. And then Calm Summit is put on by a competitor of sorts. They do the Calm Company, which is, I think they also started it with SureSwift. So I'm not sure we're even invited to that one. We may be like competitive, but those other three, I think would be good to go to going forward. Great. Yeah. I, I guess the larger question is like, would we ever have interest in creating something in that space or doing our own event? Or that, that's crossed my mind of like, I don't think, and I, I've never attended a conference, but I think a lot of the the founders that we end up acquiring businesses from are probably closer to me where they're like, I don't want to go. I should be working on this, be making the business better. I'm not going to leave town for three, four days. I need to be here doing this. And again, a lot of them are, are bootstrap founders that are doing everything. They're doing the sport, they're doing in it. So it's like kind of keeps them captive. So I don't know. Not that if we did something, it would sidestep that, but I think that's like the one thing I think about in bridging both of those gaps of like on the, on the deal flow side, LP side, it's like, I mean, we talked about this before of like fundraising, you'll see folks put on dinners. Like, I like that idea. I like the idea of like being selective, being, putting a small 20 to 30 person group together and bring someone interesting in to, to talk. But as we know, it, it can have like mixed results. I've seen, seen that work and seen it not work. Yeah. I've gone to Friends of mine have put them on for like their venture capital fund. And sometimes it's a bust. They'll drop 25,000 renting out of restaurants. And I don't know if they get any LPs from it, but I wonder, I'd like to like steal people away for a weekend or like three days or something and take the 20 founders and investors and just people are kind of in our orbit and go skiing or something like that. Yeah, sure. Right? Yeah. Like putting out a big conference seems like a lot of work, but like a smaller group going to some destination is probably doable. Just an idea. Yeah. That or backcountry backpacking why not i mean i think at, at that when you said capital camp i'm like are you guys actually going camping like that's <laughs> cool but it sounds like it's pretty cush so yeah a lot of the faqs about flying in on a private jet and how to get from there to the camp so i, I think it's a little different <laughs> i'm showing up on a greyhound bus so <laughs> nice nice yeah so i don't know i, I like the idea that uh, like the the end goal is just like to bring the human out and, and what we're doing and like i think that's that's something that I easily forget week to week when I'm like, get through a week and I'm just staring at code, staring at emails from people and you just kind of, you lose that touch. For sure. Anything else you got? No, no, I think that's it. Yeah, same. Well, all right. Take care, everyone. Thanks for listening.